I want to welcome everybody to uh, this edition of Public Leadership Institute webinar. We've had a very exciting uh, presentation today um, that I know uh, coming off the wake of yesterday and and uh, uh, in the, the New Hampshire primary, we're going to be talking about what that means as it relates to uh, the progressive movement, um, the emboldened energy. What I mean, how are voters uh, reacting to that? And allow plenty of time for questions and comments as it relates to how how should we be showing up in that space? So, without any further ado, I introduce myself. My name is Dave Woodward, and I will be hosting uh, this presentation today. Uh, we really want this to be value added. Uh, we have a very special guest that's going to be presenting a host of information as it relates to um, what does the New Hampshire primary results mean for the progressive movement. Mo uh, uh, movement. Now, uh, without any further ado, uh, I mean, Bob um, Borsage is the co-director of Campaign for American Future and um, is making, making time out, taking time out of his very busy schedule uh, to be with us this afternoon to share uh, what... At, at this crossroads in the national presidential election, the primary results of uh, yesterday in New Hampshire, um, and to share some of his reflections and thoughts as a, uh, a leader, one of the most outspoken leaders in the progressive movement, and what that means, uh, the progressive movement broadly, as we come off this pretty landslide victory for Bernie Sanders. Uh, without any further ado, uh, Bob, thank you very much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. Obviously, last night, uh, New Hampshire voters uh, detonated a grenade uh, in American politics. Uh, Bernie Sanders announced that we have sent a message that will resound from Wall Street to Washington, and uh, it surely would, uh, will. Uh, Sanders won by 20 points, as I'm sure you all know, trouncing Hillary Clinton on the Democratic side. Donald Trump won by 19 points over his second-pace uh, finisher, John Kasich, uh, trouncing Republicans on the Republican side. The establishment in both parties was battered, and the populist candidates in both parties won, and they didn't just win, they won big. Uh, in some ways, Trump summarized the uh, the results or where voters are uh, when he characterized Sanders as saying, look, the only thing he knows about and the only thing he talks about is that we're all getting ripped off and then said, in fact, he and I are the only two that are talking about that. And I think that to some extent really does summarize the message that voters in New Hampshire wanted to send last night. It is a measure of how angry Americans are at the, uh, their sense that this economy is rigged. It is rigged against them. Our politics is corrupted and corrupted by big money. Both Sanders and Trump are free of the scourge of big money, uh, Trump because he has his own, and Sanders because he's been funding his campaign with small donations. And that is a huge part of their uh, integrity and their appeal to voters uh, because of their independence. Uh, Trump ranks most highly among people saying he tells it like it is. Uh, and I think a good portion of the credibility in that is not simply that he's outrageous and says ridiculous things, but it is also that uh, because he uh, consciously denounces politicians as um, corrupted and, and points out that he is not, uh, it gives him added credibility. So let me uh, just give some general comments uh, looking first at the Democratic side. Um, in this election, uh, honesty trumped uh, experience, so to speak. 
trustworthy uh, trustworthiness, as I said, uh, measured significantly by money and money politics, trumped trumped electability. Uh, the scope of the Sanders victory uh, really cannot be ignored. Uh, he won every age group except the elderly. He won every income class except the most affluent, those making over $200,000. Uh, in fact, ironically, Clinton only won people either who were very affluent or people who already had uh, single-payer health care, that is, Medicare. He won blue-collar voters. He won those without a college education and those with a college education. He won the cities, the suburbs, the small rural towns and rural areas. 55% of women uh, reserved themselves uh, in Madeleine Albright's special place in hell by supporting Sanders. Uh, and most notably, just as in Iowa, he simply shellacked Clinton among young millennial voters, 29 and younger. He won them in uh, last night, 83 to 16. He won them about, by about the same staggering margin in Iowa. He won on the issues. Two-thirds of uh, Democratic voters wanted single-payer health care. He won those, obviously, by 80%. Uh, 80% worried about the economy. He won those, two-thirds of those. Uh, those who worried about inequality most, he won those. Those who worried about jobs most, he won those. Uh, this was a stunning victory. Now, there's some talk on the Clinton camp, well, this is the neighboring state. He was a hometown hero. But John Kerry came out of Iowa with a victory and beat Howard Dean, the former governor of Vermont in New Hampshire in 2004. So the fact that Vermont is next to New Hampshire uh, is not a determinative factor. And New Hampshire always had a big role to play in the Clinton history. It saved Bill Clinton in 92. Uh, it saved, uh, it revived Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2008 when she won a stunning upset victory against uh, Barack Obama. Uh, and the Clintons invoke, invoke that uh, history through the campaign in the past days. In some ways, New Hampshire was hometown uh, Clinton territory. Uh, and so the scope of this uh, victory by Sanders and defeat by Clinton cannot be underestimated. So what does it mean? Obviously, Iowa and New Hampshire are not America. They are overwhelmingly white. Uh, they're not uh, uh, as diverse, uh, and uh, they are the occasion for retail politics, not wholesale politics. Once we get uh, into Super Tuesday and multi-primary days, where many primaries take place on one day, um, candidates that have universal name recognition, like Hillary Clinton, who have money, uh, who have the support of gatekeepers, all have a, a, a greater advantage. Uh, but that said, Clinton comes out of Iowa and New Hampshire with real problems. Uh, she, is, she has uh, a notable lack of trust even among Democrats. Uh, well, for those who, for whom honesty and trustworthiness was their most important quality, Sanders won that vote 91 to 5. She has a huge problem among young voters, which Sanders is winning, who Sanders is winning 83, 84 to 15. She's widely, uh, she's plagued by this problem of the Goldman Sachs Wall Street money, both personally and uh, in her campaign. Uh, and she's made herself in many ways the candidate of continuity, wrapping herself in Obama at a time when uh, voters generally and Democrats particularly want significant change. Uh, and uh, that uh, will certainly hurt her. 
and her voice in the last uh, in the last uh, weeks of the campaign, particularly in the debates, increasingly sounded like uh, someone who was saying, "No, you can't. Uh, you can't do all of that. That's re- unrealistic. What we can do is negotiate and reach." common ground with Republicans Republicans on certain things. This is a very unappetizing uh, message for people who believe the system is rigged, that change is, fundamental change is necessary, and are looking for somebody who's going to fight for it. So, you know, uh, Democrats generally have been started to worry, as Sanders has done better, about his electability. And it's one of the themes of the Clinton campaign that Sanders, uh, how can a Democratic Socialist from Vermont, 73 years old, who hasn't gotten rid of his Brooklyn accent, uh, uh, possibly be electable. Well, increasingly coming out of New Hampshire, Democrats have to worry about the the electability of Hillary Clinton. Uh, On the Republican side, Republicans continue to fracture and New Hampshire did not help. Uh, Trump, the incredibly unpopular with the general population, uh, won very big and has a head of steam going into South Carolina. Uh, some are over. Uh, Christie, Fiorina, Carson are basically gone. But Kasich, Bush, Cruz, and Rubio will all go on. So the establishment vote, so to speak, uh, will continue to, uh, to splinter, uh, which is an advantage for Trump or for Ted Cruz. Um, so this party is still continuing to, uh, to rip itself up. Trump presents himself uh, increasingly and significantly as a populist. I talked about the money and politics stuff. He is anti the Pacific Trade uh, Accord and dismisses our trade policies as failed. He presents himself as the anti-politician. He's promised to preserve Social Security and Medicare as opposed to many of his uh, rivals. Um, I think uh, once he wins, the, if he were to win the nomination, you'll see him get tougher on Wall Street and uh, and more in favor of public investment of various sorts. Uh, but it, all that said, uh, Republicans have a big problem. It is enormously hard, virtually impossible, I believe, to win an, a general election in America if you are insulting African-Americans, Latinos and women. Uh, and uh, speaking in the kind of xenophobic voice that Trump uh, has raised and that the other Republicans are are imitating. Uh, This is a party that that is taking itself to a very extreme right position that is out of touch with the electorate that we now have in this country. On the Democratic side, uh, for Sanders, the challenge is clear. Uh, he that we're now headed into South Carolina, Nevada, and then the Super Tuesday states. He has to introduce himself to those people. He uh, he's going to face the fact that all almost all the gatekeepers uh, in the black and Latino co- uh, communities have been locked up by the Clinton campaign, um, and he's going to have to find a way to get a hearing for his message. I think there's little doubt that if he can get that hearing, his message will have traction in those communities. They are uh, communities that are among the most uh, battered by the Great Recession uh, and by the structured uh, racism and inequality of our society. Um, And uh, a strong message about structural change, I think, will be enormously uh, beneficial if it comes from someone they learn to trust. He's got a long way to go there, and it remains to be seen whether he will get there. Uh, but uh, the firewall, much touted on the Clinton side, uh, may be more permeable than people think. 
Uh, he certainly will have the resources to do it. He raised $2.3 million uh, in the hours between his speech and declaring victory and midnight last night. Uh, And uh, his small donors, uh, millions of small donors are excited and will continue to make small contributions either when he does well or when he is attacked. So he's likely to have the resources to keep going uh, and to be competitive. Um, The interesting thing about Sanders is he's he's not only – mobilizing the young uh, millennials in the American majority coalition of millennials, people of color and women. He is also uh, yoking to them increasingly uh, or shows the potential of yoking to that coalition uh, blue collar workers. Once again, he won blue collar workers in uh, New Hampshire last night. He's making a clear class appeal. Uh, you see that those workers, the Reagan Democrats who went over to Reagan and have voted for Republican for, for a very long time, are enormously restive in the Republican coalition. That's why they have helped fuel Trump's, the outsiders, rise. Uh, and so you can imagine Sanders having an ability to bring some of them over to the Democratic coalition and strengthen uh, that uh, majority that awaits uh, a Democratic candidate. For Clinton... Excuse me. Her challenge is equally clear. Um, She can't continue to be the candidate of no, you can't. She has to show Americans not what she's against or why other things are impossible, but what she wants to fight for and why that matters. Uh, And the more she has a positive uh, message, the more likely she is to be able to overcome but now are real burdens in terms of her uh, problems with money and uh, uh, and corruption and her problems with uh, the other uh, scandals that plague her. Um, I think uh, last night in her uh, concession speech, she showed the signs of the strategy they will follow. Uh, one is uh, a greater uh, starting with a greater uh, kind of appeal to various constituents on the basis of their concerns and their issues. So she talked about structural racism. She talked about criminal justice reform. She talked about uh, immigration uh, uh, reform. And I think you'll see those kinds of appeal, uh, which she's comfortable with, as their first bid to consolidate that base as we head into the states where minorities play a bigger role in the Democratic coalition, as opposed to a broader bigger economic vision. In my own view, to be the, the strong candidate, she has to get to a big analysis and vision about the political economy and how she will change it so that it works for working people. And this is not a set of kind of specific programs as much as what interests you think are standing in the way and how you're going to take them on and uh, what you will do in a big way for fundamental structural change. Sanders is not winning this election because he's a pretty face. He's not winning it because uh, people have suddenly fallen in love with 73-year-old grandfathers. He's winning it because he's putting forth a very powerful message about an economy that's rigged, a politics that's corrupted, and a willingness to say we can together build a, a revolution that will give us single-payer health care and tuition-free college and a $15 minimum wage and a union. Um, and 
those are th- and a trade accords that that work for us and break up the big banks that uh, that are strangling us. Uh, that that message has immense resonance. Um, it can't simply be co- uh, copied. It's got to have uh, some credibility. But uh, Hillary and any Democrat, I think, uh, to really mobilize the American people where they are is going to have to have a big idea about how they're going to change, uh, bring change to their communities, to their states, or to the national uh, government. This is a very populist moment. I can't overemphasize. These results are stunning. They're stunning to people like me who have always believed it's a populist moment. Um, People get that the economy is rigged. They get it in both parties. Um, They get that our politics are corrupted. We haven't had the argument about foreign policy, and we may never uh, but I think if we had that argument, uh, particularly an argument about uh, linking uh, our trade and global tax policies with what's happening at home, they, that you would see there was a big revolt against our foreign policy as well. Um, so this is a time when the agents of change, the voices of progressive voices that are demanding change and that are giving people a clear analysis of why we're not able to get it. Uh, because they are incredibly frustrated in both parties about the failure to get the kind of change we need, that those candidates are going to do well. So let me stop with that and then take questions or or uh, great uh, respond. Well, I mean, thank you, Bob. I mean, I think it's I mean incredibly insightful, and we've got all sorts of questions coming in. So um, the time that we have you, we will we'll cram as many of these um, um, through as possible. So starting from the top here, um, and, and I think you did, I mean, th- I think this question came in after you made it, uh, Nancy, I mean, posing the question to, I mean, can you address a Clinton's claim or control over key voting blocks versus Sanders' uh, strategy to introduce himself, I mean, needing to introduce himself to minorities in, in, um, without getting into the gutter with the Clintons directly? Like, how does, how does that play going on? Because I think you said, I mean, it, the things that you laid out, the things that are resonating, the, the demographic blocks that are overwhelmingly, we saw the performance last night. Um, how does that play? I mean, with, with South Carolina on the horizon, um, the, well, I mean, I think this we'll revolution, what does that mean? We'll see a real test in South Carolina. Majority of voters in the Democratic primary are African-American. Uh, Clinton has the uh, endorsements of the black establishment politicians across the state. Um, and is, has a dramatic lead, I think a 50, 50 60 point uh, lead in the polls among African Americans uh, as we start. Uh, and it's clear she signaled last night, and her press is saying it again today, she's going to be uh, doing a lot of work with uh, criminal justice reform and specific uh, questions of structural, structuralized racism that, that has hurt that community. Um, she's talking about stumping the state with uh, the mother of Trayvon Martin, uh, for example. Um, and Sanders uh, will go into the state. Uh, he will, uh, as he has, he will lay out his criminal justice reform, which is uh, as extensive as anyone's and uh, was done in, in conjunction with and in response to the Black Lives Matter uh, activists. Uh, but he will also lay out this big economic message, um, and uh, he will have enough resources, I think, in terms of ads to be able to put his message on the air. Uh, whether he can get uh, have enough time and, and ability to uh, 
get let people get to know him uh, is the big challenge so that they can trust that message. Uh, the uh, in uh, when I uh, went through the South with Jesse Jackson, he uh, in in 88, he used to say that if he could get a, a white official or authority figure minister, whatever, to introduce him to a crowd that uh, and 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 give him enough credit, you know, kind of an opening to, to get a listening that he could win over that crowd. Um, and that was true. And if he couldn't get that, if he didn't have that kind of an entree, it was very hard for him even to get an, a hearing. I think the challenge for Sanders in South Carolina will be, is he going to be able to get a hearing? Um, and, uh, you know, I think we'll see that uh, over the next period of time. Uh, I hope that what we'll see is a merging of these messages, that is the messages that Clinton will adopt a broader economic message and Sanders will uh, add to his economic message uh, some of the constituency specific uh, social justice issues that are vital to the reforms we need. Um, and I think that pro this process will probably help make that happen on both, both accounts. Uh, David asked a question, and this it gets more into like the logistics, but I think it's re uh, very relatable to like the state of the progressive movement today and in the future. So even with Bernie wins or Bernie's great performance, I mean, th this is also a delegate count. And when you tally up the delegate counts after these two I mean, elections, one would think, well, one should be clearly ahead. But with the whole super delegate structure and um, and the and, 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 and how the, the Democratic Party particularly allocates delegates, you still have a situation in which, I mean, Bernie's significantly behind in terms of the delegate race as it stands right now. So can you speak to that? And from a, well, it's a little more inside baseball, but it's, I mean, this is also the brewing populism that's happening within a party structure. And you've got a lot of party elders, if you will, leaders that are maybe a little, <laughs> not with the party. Uh, three things on that. One is uh, the process of uh, uh, making sure you get the delegates you win and uh, and staying on top of the caucuses and the complicated process in, in different states uh, and counting delegates and make and and, and uh, reass you know winning the delegates that you deserve is very complicated. There's no question the Clinton campaign has the best people from the Obama campaign uh, doing that work. And Sanders will have to build up that capacity in his campaign to, to make sure that he gets the delegates he wins. Secondly, superdelegates are 20, I think 20% of the convention. They tend to be public officials and uh, the party elders. Um, and uh, they, at this point, are overwhelmingly for Hillary Clinton. Although I think if Sanders uh, calls around, and, and I'm sure he will start to do that, that he'll start to pick up some support in those circles. Um, on the other hand, it, it would be enormously uh, difficult, it seems to me, and dangerous for the superdelegates to, to vote, uh, to give the nomination uh, to a candidate who has not won overwhelmingly, who, who has lost overwhelmingly the popular vote. So that if Sanders were to continue to show the kind of strength he's shown, which has astounded everyone, uh, I think you would see superdelegates starting to uh, change their votes. Uh, and I think it would be very difficult because uh, Democrats want to come out of the convention with a unified uh, party. Uh, if they have a unified party uh, that is excited, they win. We win. 
mean, there's just no, uh, we have the majority. The, uh, the rising American electorate, um, young people, people of color, single women, plus secular voters are over 60% of the potential electorate this fall. If they're excited and show up to vote, uh, the Democratic nominee, whomever that is, will win the election. So the, the biggest uh, desire of the party is to come out of that convention with a unified uh, party. And, and uh, I think the party elders, uh, you know, it depends on the results. If the results are close, one part, candidate's ahead only marginally, then uh, I think they will play a big role in, in who wins the nomination. Um, Stephen poses a question um, as it uh, I mean, as it relates to I mean, policy that's pending before uh, Congress. Do you think that the Sanders victory in New Hampshire ha- um, has any ability to influence some of the corporate or semi-corporate Democrats in Congress to uh, be more brazen or to oppose TPP um, when that bill is finally voted on? And so uh, uh, type in again to this populist lift in, in, among the base. Y- yes. Uh, I think it does. I think you're going to see a lot of pressure on Hillary to not just be nominally against TPP, but to make her opposition clear and forceful. I think that leads the, both the president and the Republicans not to bring it up until the lame duck session at the earliest. Um, with Trump against the TPP, Cruz against it, uh, and uh, both Democratic candidates against it, Bernie forcefully I think uh, uh, it will be it, it gets harder and harder for that to get passed. Certainly, uh, I think it's unlikely to get passed. It will not get passed until the lame duck session. Uh, and then uh, I don't think the votes are there at this point uh, for it. And, of course, in the lame duck session, you have a new president. And so right, uh, uh, they uh, uh, are new, a newly elected president, not yet inaugurated. And. Uh, I think uh, if uh, that president is against the TPP, uh, it is likely to not go forward. Uh, Now, most people believe, as I do, that the Clinton opposition to it is tactical for electoral purposes and that she actually is will switch that uh, quickly, if not uh, before the uh, general elections soon thereafter. Uh, but I do believe that this, uh, the trade uh, and our failed trade policies and the catastrophic effects it's had on uh, uh, contributed to in terms of inequality and wage stagnation uh, and displacement of entire communities, I think uh, that that is going to make it harder and harder to continue to go down the road that we've been going on. And I think TPP is uh, maybe a bridge too far at this point. Great. Uh, Graham uh, poses a question, uh, looking at the horizon, and I'm mean, interested, Bob, in your opinion of, uh, so is Bernie still, uh, biggest impact in, the, in this race and the movement is to move Hillary to the left, or does Bernie stand a viable chance to securing the nomination? Well, uh, I think, you know, uh, there's no question he's shown the strength of his message. There's no question that he has now shown that he can be financially competitive. Uh, Those are two huge uh, hurdles for any candidate. Uh, He's shown an interesting ability to forge a coalition that includes uh, blue collar uh, as well as millennial voters. um, And uh, he's had support across the board. We don't know kind of his support in the minority community. The early polling is very uh, 
uh, you know, the Clintons, uh, Hillary Clinton leads dramatically in those communities, but uh, that doesn't take into account the momentum that comes out of New Hampshire and Iowa and the uh, what will change once the candidates close and are in, in, engaged in the in the politics. Uh, kind of in the structure of the campaign, uh, South Carolina, I think, is very hard for Sanders. Uh, Nevada is more interesting. It's a caucus state. Uh, it has uh, a decent, uh, big Latino population, a decent uh, union uh, uh, population. The union leadership tends to go with Hillary, but uh, we'll see where the activists on the ground are. Then you head into Super Tuesday. Super Tuesday is most pundits consider to be kind of Clinton territory, uh, again, a lot of southern states with a large African-American population. Uh, but it also has Maine and Massachusetts and Minnesota and Maryland, uh, where Sanders might do very well in the current context. Uh, and so I think this campaign um, has gone from being a, if you will, a message campaign, a protest campaign, a let's move, get Hillary to move to the left campaign. And it is now, uh, this is going to be a real race um, and, uh, and it's going to last for a significant amount of time. Uh, Miles, I mean, poses, uh, I mean, the question, do we envision uh, a Hillary campaign engaging in a much more direct attack to stunt uh, Bernie's uh, uh, ascent and momentum? Um, and it, 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 it does that come in the, from a translation of attack, attacking this uh, ta- message that's tapping into the populist anger that's out there? Um, what's your, well, I think what's your we, thoughts there? Uh, I think they've signaled that they want to go negative on Sanders. So David Brock was out saying, uh, we're going to bust the bubble of the, of Bernie Sanders. And James Carville says, we're going to throw the kitchen sink at him. And I'm sure the opposition research, whatever they have is uh, getting uh, teed up. And you've seen uh, big dog, Bill Clinton already do one of his uh, uh, kind of screeds against Sanders in New Hampshire. Uh, you've seen them come out with this notion that because he took money from the DESCC, he too is corrupted by Wall Street money. Uh, and so I think we're going to get a lot of that uh, with a lot of surrogates going, uh, getting pretty ugly. Uh, I don't know. I think my my own view is that hurts doesn't help Clinton. That is it. It really is a... Uh, a kind of uh, reflection of the politics that people are sick of. Uh, it won't fool anybody about where it's coming from and how it's being done. Um, it will be done out of her super PACs, which are things you know funded by big uh, donations from uh, billionaires and and uh, and Wall Street bankers and what have you. And uh, it's exactly the kind of politics that people uh, have had, uh, uh, you know, kind of have turned on. And so I think those tax attacks uh, may well uh, backfire uh, if they go down that route. Uh, but I think if you're the Clinton campaign at this point, uh, you want to try to restructure your message and you really want to take Sanders down. Um, and so I think they will try to do that. I don't think I, I, I don't know cr- quite how they, they deal with the strength of his actual message. They've tried to denigrate national health care. I don't think that worked out for them very well. Certainly didn't in New Hampshire. Uh, they've tried to dismiss his uh, plans as a cartoon or as uh, fairy tales. 
but that only makes Clinton look like she's for smaller, uh, and more cautious, less structural change. And this is a voting population that is looking for big structural change. So I'm not sure that helps. Um, I, I, my own view is they would be well advised, and they don't take my advice, but they would be well advised to uh, focus on giving her a big, bold, positive message um, and making her the agent, uh, an agent of change. It doesn't have to be that Bernie is not. Just make her an agent of change and then add to that uh, her experience and her name recognition and all of the assets of this very strong campaign. Uh, and I think that would be the greatest uh, successful, the most successful strategy for that for that campaign. Um, and I think if they do go negative, uh, and I suspect they will, that it, it will be unfortunate for them. Great. Barbara I mean, poses a, I mean, a good question, kind of like talking about the establishment and, and some of it, well, how the questions have come and how this, I mean, the conversation, where does the progressive movement fit in all of this? And I mean, I'd like to read a part of our comments in there, question like, so uh, South Carolina black elected officials are the establishment. Planned Parenthood is part of the establishment. We have um, a, a, a feminist who won the Iowa caucus. Um, isn't a, this is all part of the establishment. Isn't this progress as it relates to progressive issues? Um, and is, I mean, is, is that bad? And I, I, th- I think it's an interesting question. Because, I mean, as uh, you, you bring the money component in, into all of this, but clearly the, the divide um, these, these two camps and so what, and what that means for, for our movement more broadly. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's uh, true and fair and, uh, and an insightful comment. You know, there's been this debate about who's a progressive uh, and it gets very confused and, uh, and sort of starts to get very petty, it seems to me. Uh, the notion that Hillary is not a reformer, uh, you know, she her her agenda and her platform is a significant reform agenda. It's, I think, bold, much bolder than she was uh, in 2008, certainly uh, dramatically bolder than where her husband was uh, in the way he governed. And so uh, this is a reform candidate, first woman uh, candidate uh, with a real chance to get the nomination and, and be president. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think the notion that somehow being tagged as an establishment figure means you're not a reformer uh, doesn't hold true in the Democratic Party. That's true of black elected officials as well. On the other hand, what Democratic voters feel, and I think they feel it correctly, is that the Democratic established politicians, uh, the, the way we finance our elections, the way the party has been corrupted by big money, the disappointments with Obama, that they have not made the changes that people desperately want made. We're, you know, we're st- for most people, they're still in the midst of what Joe Stiglitz calls the long depression. Incomes are still stagnant. Uh, healthcare is still incredibly expensive. Um, the uh, the uh, uh, young people are burdened with these staggering levels of uh, of debt. Uh, I mean, if they decide to get a college education um, and on and on, you know, the disappointments are clear. People are living them. They are dramatic. They thought they, you know, would get dramatic change with Obama. They've been disappointed. Democrats understand this is because Republicans have stood in the way and because big special interests 
uh, have a lot of sway, both with Republicans and with our party. Uh, and they're looking for real change. And so uh, to be a, a, a part of the established Democratic uh, officialdom is to, uh, to, to feel some of the brunt of that disappointment. Uh, and the, you know, in, in some sense, that's, that's inescapable. You can be a great reformer, and you must be to be, I think, to win this nomination. But you know, for Hillary to say, I can't imagine I'm part of the establishment when she is the former first lady, two-term senator from New York, secretary of state, multimillionaire, leader of the Clinton Foundation. I mean, hello? Okay. <laughs> of course she's part of the establishment. It, it, you know, to have her position, you would have to argue that no woman can ever be part of the establishment. Uh, that's, uh, that's preposterous. So, uh, you know, I, I think the... Uh, and and the kinds of uh, endorsements that have taken place, I think what if you're a Democratic voter, you see, you know, the leadership of the big institutions all both mostly lining up with uh, with Clinton, uh, and that just reinforces that sense. Uh, I don't think that's inconquerable, but I think it's real, and I think uh, it makes it even more incumbent on her not to be arguing that, look, the way we're going to get change is incrementally because I know how to do it and I'll go in the back room with Mitch McConnell and I'll find slivers of common ground and we'll make things a little better. That's a pretty unconvincing argument. Um, and uh, it leaves a field open for Sanders to make the argument he's made, which is together we are going to build a majority that sends you know real energy to Washington and will tell the politicians to get out of our way. And if they don't get out of our, our way, we'll get them out of our way. And we're going to do big things, not little things, big structural changes that will make your life dramatically better. That's a much more powerful uh, message uh, in relationship to this electorate. And let me just do one other thing. Uh, you can read this on our webpage at ourfuture.org. But, um, and uh, there's an article that I did uh, for Reuters uh, similarly. This is not a unreal dream, as it's sort of dismissed as, you know, uh, when Ronald Reagan ran in 1980, he ran against the Republican establishment as a movement conservative. He was dismissed as somebody peddling voodoo economics, which he was. He uh, was laughed at because he had such uh, was both ignorant about public policy and had a kind of cinematic relationship to reality. He was so uh, controversial that John Anderson split off from the Republican Party and ran a third party candidacy against him in 1980. Um, and he was widely it was widely said that, God, Republicans will be destroyed up and down the ticket. We're going to lose. We're going to get killed. Um, but Reagan caught the message of that time and the spirit of that time and the anger of voters at that time. And he not only won the presidency, uh, he swept senators in and won the Senate with staggering losses for Democrats. Um, and his agenda, his voodoo economic cut taxes, double the military budget in peacetime, passed through a, a, a Democratic Congress and a Senate where Democrats had filibuster power to stop it. Um, and so it's not the case. Yeah, we're more polarized now, et cetera, but it's not the case that the argument that says people speaking clearly with an insurgent candidate can change things dramatically uh, has never happened before. It has happened before, and uh, and people are in that kind of mood now. And that I mean, actually directly relates. Um, Mark uh, posed a question, and I think you started, you, you, Bob, you started addressing it. 
Um, could you speak to the viability of democratic socialism, both as this broad systematic governance uh, shift in our nation and the point of differentiation um, that could work to, I mean, Bernie Sanders' benefit? Um, or a leader. I mean, I think that they acknowledge, I mean, the, the Reagan example, I think, is analogous um, in that in that space. You know, uh, I think some of this is age. If you're uh, my age uh, and uh, grew up uh, during the Cold War years, um, socialism uh, was uh, kind of red baited into uh, something to be feared and, and, uh, and, and something that's extreme. Um, and uh, the kind of democratic socialism of Sweden, et cetera, was uh, uh, sort of either ignored in the Cold War or denigrated. Uh, if you're young, uh, you know, with the Cold War over since uh, uh, 89, um, you don't really see, uh, you know, kind of Cold War communism or, or red baiting as a, as a very useful uh, uh, fear. And socially, you're sort of open to what democratic socialism means. And when Sanders lays it out as the Roosevelt New Deal politics of Social Security and Medicare for all, and uh, a minimum wage that's a living wage and a right to a union um, and makes it clear where he is, uh, I think young people and people of all ages find that very acceptable. Uh, and so, in fact, kind of using that category, uh, he has uh, made the term, I think, thus far less uh, toxic. Uh, now, I, I, there's no question that Republicans will run millions of dollars of ads paid for by billionaires like the Koch brothers to try to make it toxic again, worry to get the nomination. Um, and to, uh, you know, they already did that against Barack Obama, who they accused of being a socialist. But one of the products of accusing Barack Obama, a very moderate uh, Democrat, of being a socialist is that uh, it has, again, uh, removed some of the sting from the term, certainly for Democrats. Uh, and so, I think uh, that's a good thing. It, it reduces, uh, it expands the ability of Democrats to talk about government being a, uh, a, a force that's on the side of people and, make, and, and able to do things to make uh, your lives better. And that's the interesting subtext of this uh, campaign that I think is fascinating, which is we've really seen the end and the collapse of the conservative ideology. I think I think the politicians are slow to catch up to that. Um, and uh, but uh, people, in a sense, get it. They they want government to do things. They want them to get a hold of drug prices. They want them to make health care affordable. They want them to pass the minimum wage. That, that's a living wage. Uh, they're looking for change. They are suspicious because they think government is corrupted and controlled by big interests, uh, and they're right. And so uh, that big agenda for change doesn't get a hearing necessarily until you prove that you are the agent of that change. And that's the power of the Trump position funding his own campaign um, and the power of Sanders deciding uh, strategically to do what Hillary Clinton could have done, which is I'm going to run this campaign with uh, crowdfunding my uh, my uh, financing with small donations. Uh, I'm going to take that risk because I want to be clear. I'm going to take on these interests and I'm going to clean this place out. That's a very exciting prospect for people, but it is an exciting prospect because in fact, they want government to do things. This is not with the conservative era that we lived in post Reagan. I, I believe 
ideologically has collapsed. Uh, and the question is whether our politics can come up with that, can catch up with that reality. And also related to that reality, Kerry uh, posed the question, well, does this populism happen on both sides of the, express, uh, the, the political expe- um, spectrum? Uh, what happens if a Bloomberg pulls the trigger and jumps in, in a third race, regardless mm-hmm. of who emerges in, in both camps? Yeah, Bloom, a Bloomberg candidacy with a billion dollars of his own money behind it is an interesting candidacy. It, you have to see what he's arguing about. Uh, what his message is. Uh, his billion dollars makes him independent, uh, gives him some credibility as an independent force. Uh, and on the other hand, if uh, if he thinks he can do this without a uh, a big uh, structural change uh, agenda, I think he's likely to to find that he's wasted a lot of money, uh, and that he will be disappointed in in the results. I do think the Republican uh, country club. Tea Party, uh, poor Southern rural blue collar uh, country club, Republican Wall Street uh, uh, coalition is ready to fall apart. And Trump is sort of blasting it apart. Uh, And so uh, a Bloomberg candidacy will uh, do more of that uh, uh, blasting. And I think he would pick up some. He's a social liberal, so he'd pick up uh, some votes from the uh, uh, Democratic Party, perhaps more votes for the Democratic parties because he's a New York Jewish uh, social liberal. Uh, and so Republicans, uh, conservative Republicans might have a hard time getting over there, uh, even country club Republicans. But uh, I, my own sense is uh, that this is an election that Democrats, uh, that's Democrats to lose. We have a majority coalition. We speak to that and their needs in credible ways. We win this election. Uh, I guess, I mean, surprising a little bit. I mean, that the turnout in the New Hampshire um, primary um, reported high on, on, on both sides, frankly. Um, but yet there still there still seems to be this enthusiasm gap on the Democrat side um, going into a presidential election cycle. And it's been widely reported early on. And it seems that that enthusiasm gap um, in general has been there. I think Bernie's tapped into that. Um, do you see it uh, sustaining, um, uh, carrying us through the, I mean, the spring and summer into the fall election? Yeah, we've seen mixed results thus far. So in, in Iowa, uh, there wasn't a huge outpouring uh, from the uh, campuses, uh, at least nothing compared to what Obama was able to do in 2008. Um, and uh, so there was a kind of worry about that in New Hampshire, there was a huge outpouring, a huge outpouring of independence, big turnout, um, and I think people are starting to tune in the, to, to the election and get more get more excited. So I think Democratic pollsters are starting to think this, the, the enthusiasm gap may not be as bad as they were worried it was. Um, you know, in part, uh, the other side. Uh, this is a polarized political situation, so. Uh, Barack Obama mobilizes the Republican coalition. Hillary Clinton mobilizes the Republican coalition. Uh, I don't think they really know who Bernie Sanders is yet. Uh, And similarly, Donald Trump or uh, or Ted Cruz uh, will mobilize the Democratic coalition in a presidential race. Uh, And so that enthusiasm gap, once we see who the opponent is, uh, may be... uh, 
may, may, may close as well. Uh, and, and, and certainly the threat posed by a Cruz or a Trump uh, with their hateful rhetoric uh, and divisive uh, attacks on whole peoples uh, will, uh, will rouse Democrats in large numbers. I've got a question from Andy here, so I'm going to click here, and Andy's got Andy. Andy, are you there? Andy was there. Andy, I'm going to lower your hand. If you do have audio capability and I have to ask a question, please do so. Uh, John, um, let me pose a question, and look. And it like his question looks to November, and expecting the complete traditional fear tactic campaign that often um, is evoked from the right, particularly as it relates to foreign policy and mm. terrorists. And I mean, and you, a lot of the conversation about domestic strategy, the populist strategy, doing right by um, the people at home. Um, how, I mean, how do you see that this, uh, the, 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 the New Hampshire informing it, but also more broadly, the, um, the primary cycle uh, impacting the foreign policy discussion. Because, I mean, it's almost at times you see it um, in both parties, um, two completely different discussions about America. And, um, and clearly foreign policy I mean, is, is, is an issue that resonates with, I mean, a, a constituency across this country. So how, how do you I mean, see the intersection of foreign policy um, and as that relates to the progressive movement? Yeah, the, the, I, you know, in some ways terrorism is the... Uh, is the uh, wild card in this race. If there are terror in, terrorist incidents, then people's concerns about terrorism rise, uh, their uh, desire to strike back uh, increases. Um, Republicans who are not, who are out of office uh, can uh, rail against the president and blame whatever the terrorist incident is on the fa- failures of government. Uh, and so uh, that can make a big impact in the election, I believe, if it if it happens, uh, you know, if there are large incidents or if they are near uh, the, the election day. Um, on the other hand, there's no question that people are more concerned about the economy. They are uh, more concerned about, uh, you know, the, the kind of corruption of our political system. And uh, the only insulation in some ways uh, against uh, that, that terrorist red, that kind of, uh, stuff is uh, is a stronger position on on, on that on those issues. Um, I do think that um, we haven't had a, a much of a foreign policy debate on the Democratic side, um, and I think that's a shame. Uh, uh, we need a bigger uh, uh, progressive position that that expands what foreign policy is about and that takes on our global economic strategy, which has been made by and for the multinational corporations and banks. Uh, and that's not just TPP and our trade policies, but it's also our tax policies. It's the way we operate uh, in, uh, internationally. It's uh, the notion that we're going to police the world, uh, you know, constantly, uh, and that we can afford to do that. Um, we haven't had a real uh, debate about regime change and how many wars we're going to fight and how long we're going to fight them. Uh, and I think it would be good for Democrats to have that debate because uh, I think foreign policy would be a bigger factor uh, once we get into the general election. 
uh, with Republicans issuing a critique uh, against the Obama foreign policy. I do think Americans are war weary. They certainly are weary of fighting wars that are endless without victory. Uh, and while uh, any specific terrorist threat or incident can rouse them to want to take them out, I think they are, there's more and more of a place for a hearing about a sensible uh, foreign policy posture. Now, this is the one area I think where President Obama really tried. Uh, tried to get us out of those wars, uh, tried to make the argument that the war on terrorism, like all wars, must come to an end. Tried to put some constraints on America's uh, interventionist uh, sensibilities. Uh, and uh, I think he's really uh, kind of lost that argument uh, to himself in his own administration in some ways. Uh, and uh, we need to restart that argument. But thus far, we haven't seen that. Uh, in the debate uh, uh, on the Democratic side, um, the uh, but I, I would uh, I would certainly admit that big terrorist incidents here could could uh, have a significant effect on opinion. Uh, Kay uh, uh, has a question here, and I'm going to try to combine it with a whole bunch of other people's questions that are spe- are uh, asking uh, questions around more the logistics of primaries, winner take all versus proportional, I mean, how delegates are delegated. And it's being lifted up not only as, okay, New Hampshire we know is relatively small to the big puzzle of everything, but we do have a system and how the how a, nomina- a nominee is selected. And by design, does it pr- produce artificial barriers for I mean, a more populistic candidate to be able to move forward because of some of the, the controls on the delegate selection process? And, and should that be part of this conversation, too? Uh, I wouldn't have thought so other than the big question of superdelegates and whether they are instructed to vote the way their state went or whether they are free to vote uh, the way they decide. And the party uh, years ago decided that they would be free to vote the way they want, which gives kind of established elected uh, uh Democrats enormous uh, influence on the outcome if they vote in large numbers in one way. Uh, and we haven't had a problem with that yet because, uh, you know, the winner of the popular vote has basically uh, won the nomination each time. Uh, and I would think that they would be not so stupid as to use their votes to overturn uh, the votes of the of the country, but in a very closely contested race, um, as you saw in Iowa, where uh, the, you know, the problems of the caucus process uh, raised questions about the results, so that even the Des Moines Register, uh, you know, kind of raised questions about it. Um, I think uh, the more closely contested the the nomination race is, the the more difficult the uh, these questions about, particularly about superdelegates, become, and this may end up uh, with that that kind of an argument. Great, uh, Kathy, uh, and we're going to take just a couple more questions, uh, folks. And I appreciate all. I mean, trying to uh, synthesize all these remarks that are coming around the country, and the, I mean, this is great, um, but we need to be mindful also of Bob's time uh, this afternoon. Um, so we're going to take a couple more questions, and then we'll be wrapping up. But Kathy, I mean, asks a question at kind of uh, a question at the state of the progressive movement 
following the uh, the New Hampshire primary and the intersection with the media and a media that um, I mean, talks about uh, I mean, Hillary Clinton as the presumptive nominee. And now you have this. Um, how does the media does the media change the, the public narrative and, re, and react accordingly to some of these results? Um, and then maybe also as it relates to the other side, I mean, I mean, too, that you, you, got, you have a front runner, not so much a front runner, now a front runner. I mean, what's the um, how do we make sense of that? And what I mean, what do, I mean, predictions maybe uh, as, as we go into South Carolina and, and other states. Well, it's interesting. I th- and I think it's probably complex. Um, you know, in the beginning, the media uh, does con- has a conventional wisdom, essentially, about Bush and, and Clinton and believes uh, strongly that they're going to uh, most likely win easily, Clinton easily, Bush uh, handily. Um, on the other hand, they have a uh, early on a desire for uh, for a competition. Uh, and so they're sort of looking for ways to build up a little bit of opposition to what they assume are overwhelming favorites. Uh, then when it turns out the overwhelming favorites are not faring as well as they expected, it takes them a while to fit. You know, there's a lot of scratching of heads and how can this be? And it takes them a while to figure out what's going on. I think out of New Hampshire, you're going to see a, a media narrative now that's almost universal about uh, the populist uh, sensibility of American voters and what that means. And you're going to get a lot of analysis about uh, its effects, et cetera. And, uh, and that's going to be pretty widespread. At the same time, uh, the establishment will stop, strike back. I think uh, they're really going to go after uh, Sanders and, uh, and Trump. Uh, and uh, you know, the press is already kind of... Uh, uh, previewing that, saying, "Well, now that Sanders is uh, is a you know a real contender, a front runner, even uh, it's time for him to get the extra scrutiny that candidates get." Uh, and so, I think that, you know the press that's been uh, kind of either ignoring Sanders or uh, you know kind of uh, interested in whether there's going to be any competition at all now is going to get pretty harsh on him, uh, just as a matter of. Uh, of striking back against the people, the, the insurgent that has the temerity to take on the person they thought was surely the uh, the establishment favorite. Um, so I think we're going to go through that period in the press that's going to be pretty harsh. Um, I do think that for um, movement dramatically matters uh, in these elections, and increasingly so as our media splits up and we have uh, segmented media and social media plays a bigger role and people have their own forms of communication, uh, et cetera. And so, you know, what's been one of the things that's been fascinating and stunning about this campaign is um, the extraordinary Black Lives Matter movement, uh, you know, forced every, every Democratic candidate to respond with a, a bold agenda about something that wasn't even in their radar screen before the campaign started. Uh, and uh, and they understand the, not only the importance of the black vote, but the importance of a mobilized, excited black vote. Uh, and uh, just as uh, the Dreamers put immigration on the table, they put uh, criminal justice reform on the table. I think $15 in a, in a union, the, uh, the fast food worker strikes across the country, 
uh, have made raising the minimum wage and uh, a living wage and putting lifting the floor under workers uh, something that Democrats had to respond to uh, again for the same reason. And so for the progressive movement, these are incredibly important uh, and hopeful times uh, about uh, our ability to set an agenda and to get candidates to respond to it. Um, you know, we've now got we were in a position where uh, many Democrats, many conservative Democrats or established Democrats were buying the Pete Peterson Wall Street line that you had to cut Social Security uh, and, uh, you know, movement groups and uh, and real organizing has now got both Democratic candidates uh, with the position that they will not only not cut Social Security, they are competing about how they would uh, enhance benefits. Um, and, and so this is a time when progressive motion and movements really make a difference. Same thing with students and, and, and debt-free college uh, uh, and the millennial generation as a voting block that people desperately need to be excited and out there is able to set an agenda and move it. So this is a time for the progressive movement to be assertive and to feel confident. And even as the media starts to uh, slice up uh, Sanders uh, and Trump and, and, and others, as the establishment start, uh, strikes back, if you will, uh, this is a time when uh, we can continue to drive the agenda and to uh, to force issues on the table and to make a real difference in in what the debate's about. Great. Uh, and this is going to be the last question. And I think it's, it, it's a perfect transition to what you said. And Linda from Georgia I talked about. So a lot of this focus about the primary, the effect of the presidential election, does this spill over into these battleground U.S. Senate races, battleground congressional races? Do these candidates more down ballot start tapping into this? Um, and trying to claim some of this to build enthusiasm about their own candidacy. Bob, what do you say to that? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if they have a wit about them, they will. Yes. Uh, I think uh, I think senators, uh, particularly in contested states, um, better learn from what's going on in these primaries and uh, and find their own authentic way of talking about the the challenges we face and what they want to fight for. Uh, I think that's true in, in congressional races as well. I think there are a lot of districts in the country, not a lot, but there are some districts in the country, even given uh, the gerrymandered reapportionment we have, that uh, demographic changes and, uh, and economic changes uh, may make them more contested than, uh, than the pros think. But they will only be more contested if there's a real populist message put out by uh, by candidates, so I, I think this is a time when uh, what's happened at, in Iowa and New Hampshire, both, in both parties, really is a message to candidates uh, up and down the ticket about uh, where the electorate is, what Americans are looking for, and uh, and how they ought to respond to it. And let me just say one more word on that. You know, there's been this kind of sense coming out of the Obama administration, understandably, that they want to sell this recovery. Unemployment's down to 4.9%. We've had record months of uh, job growth, uh, longest stretch in, in our history. Uh, he brought us out of the Great Recession. Uh, you know, wages are starting to inch up a bit, uh, and so there's been this kind of sense we're going to we're going to uh, uh, sell the economy and the growth we've got, and then uh, Democrats can be running on that proud record and promise to continue it. And in a sense, that's what Hillary 
That's how Hillary Clinton has presented herself. And I think what the, if Iowa and New Hampshire have shown us anything, it is that is a kind of fundamental misreading about the reality that people are living in. Uh, this is a, an economy that does not work for, you know, for working people. And it does not work for young people, a millennial generation that's inheriting debt when they graduate from college, a global a climate that is catastrophic, and a job market that, that uh, is uh, more and more uh, uh, disappointing. Uh, and so uh, it is incredibly important for Democrats up and down the ticket to be agents of change, not agents of continuity. Um, and, to, you know, we can be proud of what Obama did, and he did it against Republican obstruction. We can be clear that he could have done, he would have done much more without the kind of entrenched uh, corporate interests and Republicans, uh, conservative, uh, mindless conservatism standing in the way. But we have got to be clear that, that uh, we're not satisfied with where we are, that we are uh, the agents of the change we need, not, uh, not simply the voices of, uh, of, uh, of continuity. Uh, and boy, voters in Iowa and New Hampshire could not have made that more clear. And uh, no Democratic uh, official should miss that message. Great, Bob. And I think it's a perfect place to land. Uh, I'm going to read uh, Stephen's comment. Uh, um, Bob, thank you so much. It's been conv- I mean, convincing, and you rock. And that's a quote. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, thank you for taking time out of, of your busy schedule to share your insights. I think it's I mean, a lot to think about. I mean, a great analysis um, I, as we I mean, watch the presidential primary process take place. Um, and I hope everyone, I mean, kind of like those last remarks that I've talked about, like that, what is the accurate takeaway that people should uh, take away from this primary, from my, what this economy, I mean, the, the true state of the economy and uh, candidates and frankly, activists should uh, like give voice to those, those concerns and be real champions for change. So, uh, Bob, thank you very much uh, for being with us. Well, real pleasure. Let's do it again. Absolutely. I promise we will. All right. Take care, Bob. And thank you, everybody from around the country joining us this afternoon for, for this webinar. Stay tuned. Um, we regularly hold webinars around, I mean, at this time every other week. Um, and we'll be sure to uh, send you uh, invitations and, and hope to see you uh, uh, for a future session around topics like this, as well as a host of other progressive topics um, that are absolutely necessary for moving America forward.